How's it going? Good to have you here this morning. My name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors at New Hope, and uh, I work with the college and young professionals. Here we call it the greenhouse. We've got a couple here still, many of them out of town. So, um, so excited to get to spend the last day of the year with you. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but like, I think this has been a really good year. Uh, but I, th- I think for many of us, this has been a challenging year too. And I just think it's so good to be reminded of the truth of the gospel this morning. Those songs, I mean, it's so rich. So let's pray and then we'll dive into what God has for us. And let's just be this, this will be just an extension of what we just worship. God, we just thank you that of the truth of that, though our sins uh, were many, your, your mercy is more. I think a lot about just um, how it looks like we all have our lives together, but we're really just all a mess. And uh, we're just thankful for Jesus. Um, and that is the truth. That, that because of Jesus, we are who we are. And so, God, we pray today that you would teach us. You would teach us your ways. You'd help us to walk in your truth. Um, and you, you'd help us to have a, a, a greater clarity about how you think and um, that it would impact how we live. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how many country music fans do we have here today with us? Come on. Get them up. That's right. You have, used to have to be ashamed in the 90s, but not anymore. Um, if you know me, I love uh, country music, and it's not just the hip-hop crap, the pop. I'm, I'm a big 80s and 90s uh, country fan, and there's an old song by a guy named David Ball, and it's called Thinking Problem, and believe it or not, the song mixes the idea of a thinking problem with a drinking problem. Not too surprising, being country music. Um, and I want you to look at these words with me, or listen to them. This is what he says. He says, yes, I admit I've got a thinking problem. She's always on my mind. Her memory goes round and round. I've tried to quit a thousand times. Yes, I admit I've got a thinking problem. Fill the glass up to the top. I'll start with loving her, but I don't know when to stop. And the point of sharing that with you is to illustrate what I believe is a core challenge for all people, and it's this. Your thinking and beliefs affect everything about your life. Destructive, untrue beliefs and thoughts wreak havoc in our lives. They damage us, they damage our relationship with other people, and they damage our relationship with God. They rob us of the joy and the peace that's our birthright in Jesus. And so today we're continuing in our series called Joy Regardless as we look at the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Paul wrote this letter from a prison, chained to a prison guard, and yet his life overflowed with joy. God's been teaching us through Paul's writings that we can have joy regardless of our circumstances. Joy doesn't come from life going the way we want it to go. It comes from Jesus, from being purchased by the blood of Christ and allowing the gospel to direct our hearts and our minds. If you're new to church, the gospel is the good news that started with the incarnation that we celebrated this past week, right? With with Christmas, God coming to earth and dwelling among us. It was God the Son became Jesus the man. It started with the incarnation and it ended with the cross and the resurrection. Jesus was the perfect human and as the the perfect human, he became the perfect sin sacrifice to pay for all of our wrongdoings. And so the gospel, the good news is that Jesus hung between two hardened criminals on a Roman cross to be the Lamb of God who came to take away your sin. And in Jesus, we can come and find complete forgiveness and ultimately a new life and a new way of living. 
And so responding to the gospel message means that you believe in Jesus as the forgiver of your sin and as the, the leader of your life. You ask him to forgive you of your wrongdoing and you invite him to be Lord over all of your life. And so today we're gonna continue to learn from God and his word what could totally transform 2024 for you and me. If you have your Bible or web-enabled device, you can flip or tap your way to Philippians chapter four, starting in verse eight. Just two life-changing verses. This is what Paul wrote. This is what we read. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And so Paul lays out categories for us to kind of assess our thinking. And I want you to wrestle with whether or not you have a thinking problem. Check out these categories. He starts off just by talking about whatever's true and whatever's honorable and whatever's just. We could probably spend our entire time today talking about what's true, thinking about what's true. We live in a world that's full of lies all over the place in the word of God. We're told not to be deceived. And we're told not to be deceived because there's a very good chance that we're gonna be deceived. So often truth has been twisted and convoluted to where we're left with just confusion and chaos. Look what happened in the garden, Genesis 3. The deceiver twisted truth and brought about massive chaos, destruction to all humanity. Today, discerning truth becomes even more challenging with AI-generated material, fake news. This isn't politically driven at all, those comments. I'm just telling you that we live in an age of deception and confusion. And so the need to cultivate the powers of discernment are real and necessary. Listen to what one New Testament writer said. He said, but solid food is for the mature. The solid food he's talking about is becoming someone who obeys the word of God who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish or discern between good and evil. Now at New Hope, we preach God's word as our ultimate source of authority. We hold to the word of God as true. Where the word clashes with another so-called truth, we yield to God's word as our ultimate authority and as our ultimate truth. Do you want a, a good illustration of God's truth versus cultural truth? Gender confusion is a great illustration. We learned from Genesis 1 that we are image bearers. We've been talking about being imagers the last couple of weeks here at New Hope. That we reflect the image of God and one of the places we reflect the image of God most beautifully is in our sexuality, our maleness and our femaleness. And where would you expect the enemy of God to fight most fiercely, lying and twisting and confusing our world than wherever the image of God is most beautifully displayed? And then again, that's in our maleness and our female, femaleness. And so our culture preaches a truth that isn't true and they expect everyone to bend their knee to them. But we know that objective truth exists and that created order truth exists. And we know that from the word of God. Another place where discernment is necessary is social media. We, become, we, we need to become the kind of people who test everything. In, in another place in the New Testament, Paul wrote this. He said, don't despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Dr. Luke penned these words about the Bereans in the book of Acts. 
He says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. The Bereans were of more noble character. Why? Because they received the teaching of the word of God. But they went and examined it for themselves because they knew that they lived in a world that was filled with deception. So we have to work hard to discern and think about what's true. So Paul talks off, he starts off and says, whatever is true. The idea there is just the idea of truthfulness. The Greek for the word true is this word aletheis. And it means true or real or honest, authentic, genuine, unconcealed. God's word is truth. Jesus told us that in, in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He said, sanctify them in the truth as he was praying to the Father. He said, your word is truth. And so God's word is true and Christ is true and his gospel is true. Now, how much of our thinking is grounded in the truth of the word of God and the gospel message? And how much have we been corrupted by lies? Listen to what Warren Wiersbe writes. He said, the Holy Spirit controls our minds through truth, but the devil tries to control them through lies. Whenever we believe a lie, Satan takes over. Our thinking has got to be grounded in what's true. And so Paul said, whatever is true. And then he wrote this. He said, whatever is honorable. Honorable, the NIV translates it noble. But it means worthy of respect and honor. In this category, we're to think about what is honorable and respectful and we're to get rid of what is disrespectful or dishonorable. We discard any thinking that doesn't fit into these categories. Think about how much sifting you have to do. The more material you digest, whether it's stuff you're hearing or, or seeing, you're constantly sorting stuff out. You're not just passive in your uptake of information. It's active sifting and filtering, questioning and discerning. Knowing the truth of God's word and then using it as our authority or as our filter. And here's the reality. I don't think we do this all that well. And I think this is why the church often doesn't look all that different than the world. It's not enough to come to faith in Jesus and remain an infant in Christ. God wants us to mature, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. See, as your mind is transformed by God's word and his gospel, you're gonna think differently and as a result, you're gonna live differently. So how do we end up where we're at in, today in 2023? Well, there was a time in our culture when pornography was dishonorable and disgraceful and disrespectful. It was not accepted as part of our culture. And over the course of a couple of decades, things have shifted and what was the deplorable and shameful now has been elevated as acceptable and commonplace. What was unthinkable is now unquestionable. Even in the church, we haven't radically said no way. This is not honorable, it's not respectful. See, the church has a thinking problem. We've allowed things into our minds and lives that should, based on God's word, never be allowed in. And so, can I challenge you in this area? And I'm not just speaking about explicit material. I'm even speaking about the subtle allurement 
in our world. I don't even know if that's a word. The stuff that is, it just, it just really, it just kind of just seeps into our lives. God has given men and women only one option when we're faced with sexual temptation, and that's to run away. So anything that's dishonorable to God's design for sex and purity, we flee. We move our minds away from, and often we need to move our bodies physically away from whatever the source of temptation is. And Paul went on and he wrote this. He said, whatever is just. That word just in the NIV is translated right. Just would mean giving to God and people a justness that is worthy of them. We think about people in a just way and we treat people justly. All these categories that Paul lists are really extensions of who God is and how he, he thinks. Really, at the end of the day, Paul is just saying, hey, let your thinking be an extension of your faith in Jesus. Someone who's being recreated and redeemed. We're, we're becoming more and more like the one who made us in his image. And God is true and honorable and just. He, how he thinks and what he does are in alignment with his character. And he desires the same to be true of us. Well, what's next? He says, true, honorable, just. And then he says, whatever is pure. Paul's referring to morally pure thinking. Again, think about the filter God is challenging you to have for both your ears and your eyes. What we take into our minds affects what we do. Much of our thinking is influ influenced by our senses. I know it sounds old and, and prudish to say these things, but you can't fill your minds and your hearts with garbage and expect to think godly and then actually act godly. We used to say garbage in equals garbage out. That's just how life works. The New Testament teaches that a person reaps what he or she sows. You plant good things in your life, you train your mind to hold on to what's good and discard whatever's evil. Paul's saying that this is the pathway to the peace of God that he talks about in verse seven that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Now can I share something that we do in our house and, and our house is far from perfect. You come in, you'd see just as much of a mess as you have in your house. God is at work in our house. But I just wanna share a practice that we have. We talk about the music that we listen to and we're bulldogish on the media and the movies we watch because we know that once you see something, you can't unsee it very easily. And what we listen to affects the way that we think. There are songs that come on the radio. I, I don't know if you're familiar with what a radio is. <laughs> but I, I, wanna, I wanna go super retro on y'all. A radio is this thing in the car that plays music and you don't get to pick the songs. The, the radio DJ actually picks the songs. Actually, that's not even true. The, the songs are generated by a computer. Now there are songs that come on that we switch the station for. They don't have any place in our minds. And there are songs that we really like that we change the words to. We really like Thomas Rhett and his song, Ain't Nothing That a Beer Can't Fix, is a really catchy tune. But the truth is, there ain't nothing that a beer can fix. He says, uh, ain't nothing that a beer can't fix. Ain't no pain it can wash away. Beer ain't gonna take your pain away. 
It's not going to change the color of the clouds. It's not going to give you a better vacation. Go through the whole song. Listen to this. I'm not saying you can't have a beer. I think the greater danger is that is the lie that a beer can fix your life. If you enjoy a beer, have one. You know, if you're of age, be moderate, be wise, but don't think it's gonna fix something in, in your life. It's not gonna make you better at talking to somebody of the opposite gender. M- maybe initially it will, but eventually you're gonna have to talk to somebody probably without it. Paul challenges us to think about what's pure. Another category he gives us is is this. He says, whatever's lovely. That word means whatever calls forth love or whatever's attractive or or lovable. He continues, he says, whatever is commendable, or the NIV translates it admirable, praiseworthy or attractive, likely not to offend. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, anything worthy of praising God, these are the things we're to think about. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to take those categories and I want you to apply them to three specific areas. I want you to process how you think about yourself, about other people, and about God. See, I think if we tighten up our thinking, we'll see massive transformation happen in our lives. The writer of Proverbs says it like this. He says, as a man thinks within himself, so he is. In other words, you will move in the direction of your thinking. You'll become what you think. Your thinking and your beliefs about yourself, God, and others, it will greatly impact the joy and the peace that you'll have in your life. Think about this. The average person experiences somewhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. That's quite a range. Think about that for a second. And, And again, I found this on the internet. I'm not exactly sure that I believe this, but from a couple of different sources, 80% of those thoughts are said to be negative. What you think about and how you think uh, will make a huge difference in your life. Let's start with thinking about how we think about ourselves. How often do you think about the fact that if you're in Christ, if you've been born again, you are a child of God. I have a pastor friend of mine who goes around just pointing to people saying, hey, you're a cog. You're a cog, you're a child of God. You're a child of God. How often do you think about the fact that you are a new creation? It says the old is gone, the new has come. That you're completely forgiven and fully accepted because of Jesus. Are your eyes fixed on your failures? Or do you see the progress that you're making as a a follower of Christ? What's true, noble, just, pure, lovely, commendable about your life? There's all kinds of things that are true. Like, how often do you feel hopeless when in reality you have the truest hope already as part of your reality? Hopelessness and the feeling of being stuck in sinful patterns and habits, how much of that is connected to our thinking? Wrong thinking about ourselves has serious consequences on our joy and peace. Do you have a thinking problem? It is part of that problem how you think about yourself? Chances are you, you have a problem. How about how you think about God? How much of your thinking about God is true, noble, 
honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. The truth is everything about God is good. But our, in our minds, we don't often see God for who he is. We think he's against us. We think he'll eventually find me out and I'll be rejected. He can't really love me because of that dark thing about me from my past. Wrong thinking about God has serious ramifications on how we relate to God. On our desire to pursue God and draw near to him, serious implications on our joy and peace. Oh my gosh, what about how we think about others? How often do we hold untrue thoughts about our, our wife or our husband? How much do we think about the things that, are, that aren't true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or praiseworthy in their lives? What would your marriage and my marriage look like if we tightened up our thinking? Like think about how often you assume something about someone else. That's not based in truth at all. I mean, the, def the, the definition of assumption is this. A thing that is accepted as true or as certain to happen without proof. Or we hold to something as certain, completely true or certain, yet we have no proof that it actually is. And so we hold, to be, hold it to be true, and it damages that relationship, sometimes severely. Listen, you can't assume something if there's any other possible explanation for that thing. Is there any alternative explanation for what I'm believing to be true about this other person? If there is, you can't assume what you're assuming. We do this all the time. I do this. A couple of years ago, my wife and I were, we were looking at buying a house. And there were three other offers on this house, and so we were the fourth offer. And my realtor, um, you know, we were interacting back and forth, and then all of a sudden it went dark. It was, it was like he was ghosting me. And I was like, what's going on? I need answers. And, and I wasn't getting any. And I started to lose my mind. And my wife's like, well, it's probably something else going on. We just don't know. You know, it's probably a good explanation for this. We just don't know what's going on. And, and I was just like coming unglued after the first day. He didn't respond back at all. I thought, I need to get a new realtor. And then um, the second day, I was like, I've got to figure this out. So I just started calling other people. And I ended up calling the listing agent. And um, that's when I found out that just after my realtor uh, had kind of left hanging out with me, he had emergency surgery to repair a ruptured appendix. Yeah, I felt about that big, right? <laughs> is there any alternative explanation? If there is, you can't assume what you're assuming. The crazy thing is after it happened, he, we were talking, he's like, I wanted my cell phone. My wife wouldn't give it to me. Listen, we could spend weeks processing this stuff. And actually, that's the whole reason we have smaller communities here at New Hope. It's so that you can interact on this stuff and sharpen each other if you're not in a smaller community. Well, I think 2024 could be a great year to jump in one, whether it's a, a women's study or a men's study or a small group here. And if you want to get connected in a real simple way, just email jeff at nhchurch.com. What if we only decided to think about what is true, honorable, just, lovely, commendable, excellent and praiseworthy about other people? We would have the healthiest God-honoring community in the world. 
Listen to what Warren Wiersbe says about this topic. He says, we must realize that thoughts are real and powerful, even though they can't be seen, weighed, or measured. We must bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This is how we overcome our thinking problem. We discipline ourselves to think only about what's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. And when we have thoughts that come into our minds that don't fit in those categories, we filter them out. Your mind is the greatest battlefield in the world. And that's why Paul wrote what Warren just quoted there. He said this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And listen, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. I think this stuff is heavy, right? I mean, it's often difficult to acknowledge a problem and then turn and move in a different direction, especially when you kind of feel like I've been doing this for a long time. But here's our great encouragement. We may struggle with our thinking, but God doesn't. When he thinks about you, he thinks about what is true about the you washed by the blood of his son. He sees you as holy and blameless. He doesn't hold your sin over your head. He chooses to forget your wrongdoing. He thinks about whatever is honorable in the you that has been fully adopted into his family as a son or a daughter. He thinks about you as a cog. He thinks about you as someone who has been justified because of your faith in Jesus, which means you're legally forgiven forever. There's never any condemnation for you. Someone who will no longer experience his justice. Jesus experienced the justice of God on your behalf on the cross. He sees you as someone who is pure because he made you pure. He gave you his righteousness. He gave you a white robe to wear in exchange for your filthy garments. Thinks about you as lovely, attractive, and lovable, fully lovable, someone who he loves to spend time with and someone he loves to be around. And he thinks about you as commendable and admirable, excellent and praiseworthy. He sees you as one who, because of Jesus, glorifies him greatly. That's thinking grounded in the gospel. That's how God thinks about you and that's what moves you to want to grow in the way that you think. So you got a thinking problem. So what? You know, join the club. But you also have been set free so you don't have to live in that camp any longer. You're free to live in the camp of the redeemed. And that leads us to verse nine where Paul wrote this. He said, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul concludes this section of writing by putting his life out there uh, again as one to emulate. Like he, he talked earlier in this letter about, about imitating him. We often say more is caught than, than taught and if you have kids, you know that they become what you do. It's sobering. My wife will share about a time when our kids were little and, and she was putting Micah, who's not, no longer little, he was just two at the time, and she was getting him in his car seat and something happened and she said, oh crap. And that little boy just started saying, oh crap, 
oh crap, oh crap. Imitation is powerful. Paul knew that and he encouraged them to learn from him and to receive from him what he was wanting to pass on to them about Jesus and the gospel. He held out the truth of the gospel with his words and the things that he taught as well as with his life, how he lived among them. What you see Paul doing is saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. This is the heart of what it looks like to raise up others who follow Jesus. We call that disciple making. But I'm convinced that Paul's goal wasn't to have the church revolve around himself. Instead, he wanted God to raise up all kinds of laborers who would invest and who he would invest in, and then in turn, they would go and invest in others. As Paul followed Jesus, he learned from Jesus, and then he would pass on the things that he learned with the goal that they would embrace those things, embody them, and pass them on to others. What Paul's talking about here isn't just what he talked about in verse 8, which just kind of just, you know, transforming the way we think. He's talking about all the truths that he shared with this group of people up to this point. Really cool stuff. It could almost sound like two messages, but it isn't. Because you can't pass on what you don't have. So you have to start with your thinking and grow up and mature in that. And as we grow, we pass on what we're learning. Now the danger with what I just said is, is this, we don't wanna wait until we're old to make disciples. We allow our lives to be an example with what we have and we pass on what we know. My wife and I had the goal of making disciples when we were one year old in the Lord. And we did the best we could and we passed on what we had at that time, which a lot of times was just the gospel, which if you think about it, is a lot. And as God continues to grow us up, we continue to take what we're learning and we, we just do the best we can to pass it on to others. The coolest part of this concept of making disciples is that it's part of the process of us becoming more like Jesus. And so the more we're engaged with others, the more we'll become like Jesus. And the opposite is true as well. If we're not active in helping others grow in their faith, we may be hindering our own spiritual progress in the faith. And so Paul says, take your thinking problems. Watch how I process my thinking. Then I want you to learn how to process your struggles and take those things and apply them to your own life. Practice them. Do you see uh, grace in, in that concept, practice? The Greek is the word proso, and it just means to do, receive, experience, practice, to act. Following Jesus is, is a life of learning to act like him, to imitate him. And he's put others around us as examples to us, and we're to practice the things we're learning, which means we're, we aren't gonna be all that good when we start. But our goal is progress. You see that saying all over the place now. You know, you go to the gym, it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And I love that because I see that all over the place in the New Testament. So our challenge today is twofold. One, Paul says, Paul, he lays out for us to do something about our thinking problem. And if I had to lean in and give you kind of one area that I really want to kind of stress for you to think about, it'd be the area of assumptions. 
I'd love for you to root out assumption in your life. I've seen a great progress in my life in this area. Obviously, I, I, I'm not perfect. I, I shared the story about my realtor friend. But the more that I see progress happen, the more joy and peace I have in relationships with other people. The key is that question. Is there any alternate explanation for what I'm believing to be true about this other person? And then number two, Paul maps out what making disciples is all about. It's passing on through word and action what we're learning from Jesus about him and his gospel and its application in our lives. Our goal each week should be to think about what does God want me to apply to my life? How can I make greater application of the word of God to my life? What can I put into practice? The stinking stuff is, is huge to your spiritual maturity. It's the kind of stuff that you'll spend the rest of your life developing and maturing in, and you'll make progress, and then you'll see the need to make more progress. And the more progress you make, the more you'll have to pass on to other people. And the more you invest in others, the more progress you're going to make. I love the way Paul ends verse 9. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. And so verse 7 talks about the peace of God that's going to guard your hearts and your minds. And then the end of verse 9 says the God of peace is going to be with you. Think about how blessed a people we are. We have the God, we have the peace of God coming at us from both directions in our lives. What a blessing. We're going to take some time and we're going to think about how we can actually apply this to our lives. Michael's going to um, kind of lead us in some worship and we're going to take some time. And my prayer for you is that 2024 is going to be the year that you make more progress in your faith in Jesus than ever before. That's my desire for my life too. Let's pray. So good to know if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us, graciously give us all things? God, you want to give us progress in our faith. There's nothing in you that's holding back those things from us. And so we pray, God, that we would have arms open wide to all that you would want to do in us as we stand on the brink of a new year. God, you've made us new people, and we pray that you would move us in new directions in the way we, we think, how we process things in our minds. Would you continue to renew our minds God, even as a church, I pray that you would, you would make more connect, connections and connectivity, more sharpening, more opportunities where people move closer. Feel more unashamed about just talking about the blah in our lives. And we just lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen.